Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Everybody. So let me give you a little taste of uh, how my brain works. Back during that, uh, whoa, somebody got excited about my brain. Um, here's how my brain works. Back in that video about liberty, uh, Pastor Olin was talking about the Bible thing, and he said, Wycliffe. All I thought of was, someone please call 911. <laughs> oh, Fuji's baby. Uh, anyway, um, I'm Michael Singer, and i thank you, thankful for y'all. I'm up at our Lake Norman campus normally because that way you don't have to deal with all the craziness. But I'm the service pastor up there, also part of our teaching team. So if you're unfamiliar with uh, what it means to, to, for us to have a teaching team, all that means is that at our three physical locations, we like to have live communicators. So I'm part of that. So there's occasions where they let me trickle out of Lake Norman and show up at Central, very rarely at South End, but I'm glad to be here with y'all at Central. Come on, Central, give me some love. And there's people watching online. Thank you for joining us. Let me let you know where everybody's watching from. There's California, Georgia, South Carolina, and Virginia. So let's give it up for all the people joining. Thank y'all for connecting with us. Uh, during this message, we have a cool Freedom House app. I love to take notes on that. So if you have that app or don't, Get it. There's a place at the bottom that says messages. You can pull up today's date and take any notes, anything that God shares with you. Even if I don't say it, if he says something to you, write it down. It's worth noting. Uh, and then one of the things I want to mention before I get into the message is how many of y'all, by, by just a good old holler, just yell and scream at me, how many of y'all came last night to the date night? It was a great time. A lot of married couples, some couples that weren't married that were there. We had a lot of fun. But there was one thing. I've been at this church for, for 18 is that right, 2021? 20, oh, yeah, 18 and a half years. Uh, one of the things I love about our senior pastors was actually on display last night right here on the platform as they were sharing a couple of things. I always love their different personalities. Pastor Penny's trying to say something real serious, and Pastor Troy's just cutting jokes. And I can watch him like he's just thinking of the next joke to say. And I just love that interaction and how they vibe. But one of the things I love about them that I also hear a lot of the people mention is that, uh, that people will come up and say, hey, it's refreshing 
to see senior pastors that are willing to, at times, just share the struggles and challenges they have. And they share that in marriage and how everything isn't all pretty and how they do counseling and all these different things. And so I love, I've always loved that about them and appreciate that. So let's just give them a hand clap for just leading and, and being real. Appreciate their realness. So we're going to wrap up this series today, but we have a great series starting next uh, weekend, so you don't want to miss that. And we're wrapping up this series, uh, for better or worse, and it's focus, one of the main, you know, contexts of it is marriage. But I don't want you to check out if you're not married. So if you're single, which if you're not married, then you're single, even if you're dating. I just want to tell you, this is probably the most important thing for you. I'm actually more glad you're here than the married people. Married people, I love y'all, and I'm glad you're here. But if you can get the, the details and principles and things I'm going to talk about in this message while before you're married, you're going to be better off when you are married. Because here's what marriage does. Marriage turns a molehill into a mountain. Marriage magnifies everything, good or bad. It magnifies everything. So the principles of what I'm going to talk about today, some of these I can look back and realize that God, even though I didn't have language to it, that God worked on me before I got married, but he also continues to work on me in my marriage. So if you're here single, just do this real quick. If you're single, just pat yourself on the back. It's a good day for you. Because you're going to learn stuff that's going to make you better than us married folks are trying to wrestle with, with all this magnitude, and we're struggling. You're going to have that before you get married if you decide to get married. Uh, so, yeah, amen. I hear you. Get excited, at least somebody. So let's get into this. I want to start by telling a little story about my family. Beginning of January, uh, leading up to January, Jalay was like, hey, let's go on a family snow skiing trip. First time we were ever going to do this. Jalay got it all coordinated, this whole package. We were going to get ski lessons. We were going to ski, make a day of it, a lot of fun. We got up early, like 4.30 or 5, because we said we want to be at the slopes soon after they open so we can beat the crowd. We get there. We get checked in. Uh, me and my wife and my daughter are all going to ski, so we're getting our ski rentals, boots, all the, the whole nine. If you've been skiing, you know that. Uh, and then also my boys wanted to uh, do snowboarding, so we're getting all that stuff. And... It has been two and a half hours, and we've yet to put a ski on and be on the slopes. And my patience is going away. It's no longer a virtue. It's like a vulture eating away at my body. And if you've ever walked around in ski boots, it's like God is leaving your shins never to be again because they are the worst thing to walk in, and you're going up and down steps sideways, and it's terrible. So two and a half hours, my wife is in the office setting up our, uh, our lessons. My daughter's with her. Me and the boys are standing right in front of this fence looking at the bunny slope where hopefully one day we will actually put skis on and be on. And we're standing there, and I'm working on my oldest son's uh, snowboard. So we have all the snowboards and skis propped up against the fence. And as I work on my oldest son's strap on his snowboard down at the bottom, Unbeknownst to me, the top of his snowboard is hitting the skis beside it. And then the domino effect begins. Everything begins to slide down the fence. The last apparatus on that fence is my other son's snowboard. Now, beside us are standing two ladies enjoying their day, watching people on the bunny slope. They enjoyed their day until that snowboard fell and hit the one lady in the leg. Now, listen, I know it hurt her but you would have thought I severed her leg in half with that snowboard. And, and just something about me, I hate putting people out. I hate hurting people. So here I am on a day where my patience is already thin, 
And now I feel like the lowest thing underneath the earth, like just trash, like the worst person that ever stepped foot on the face of the earth. I've hurt somebody. I'm feeling all this, which leads to very challenging thoughts in my head. I'm ready to go home. I'm done with the day. We haven't even skied. We're now waiting for our lessons, and we're three hours into this whole journey, and I've yet to go down any kind of snow. And I'm done. And I'm sitting there, and as I'm having this moment where I'm just completely done and finished, I just don't want to do it anymore, all of a sudden, I hear this phrase that said, Michael, you need to practice the habit of happiness. Michael, you need to practice the habit of happiness. Now, this was not some random phrase that just came out of the blue. I was familiar with this phrase because my wife and I have the honor and privilege of leading all of our premarital life groups here, and we, we have this curriculum that we go through called Symbus, Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. They do an entire session on learning to operate in the habit of happiness. In other words, they do an entire session on how to walk through life with this principle of joy. That's what the habit of happiness is. It's really joy and learning to walk and live and how do we even function with joy. I love this scripture in Proverbs 17, 22. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If you heard my story about the skiing trip, my spirit was crushed. My bones were ready to dry up and just head to the house. But in that moment, God gave me an opportunity to step into joy, to step into a habit, not just to step into happy, but to step in a habit of happiness where I have joy in that moment, and that was the medicine I needed that day to even put a smile on my face and enjoy my family as we fully intended for this whole trip is to have a fun time as a family. That was the medicine I needed. I believe there is medicine at times that we need, and I'm not talking about something in a little jar. I'm talking about the medicine of joy. But we need to understand the difference between happy and joy. Because for a long time in my life, I have recognized that there is a difference between being happy and between living with joy. So I want to break this down and share with you some thoughts around how these two are different. different. Happy is a reaction and joy is a responsibility. Happy says, as long as my life is going good and things are going great, then I can experience what it feels like to be happy because everything's good. Joy is a responsibility that I'm going to choose to be happy in the midst of whatever's going on. Happy is inconsistent. Joy is consistent. Life is going to do this. If you don't know that, I'm here to tell you, life is going to do this up and down, up and down. Well, when we get on that, that happy roller coaster, we're only going to have good moments when it's going up, but when it's going down, we're going to hate it. Joy is consistent. Life is doing this. Joy is doing this. It's that steady stream. Happy, our emotions have control, but if we walk in joy, then I have control. Emotions are something we're all going to experience. Emotions are needed, and they are good, and they are beneficial, and they propel us to things, and they teach us things. But the minute we allow our emotions to dictate like they do when we just are happy because all the emotions feel right, then we're going to be destroyed, and we're going to find ourselves wanting and feeling like we're lacking. But joy says, you know what? This moment didn't go well, but I'm going to take control of my emotion and not allow that emotion to take over. I'm going to respond this way. Happy is external. Joy is internal. 
kind of talked about this, but happy is whatever's on the outside is going good, then I'm going good on the inside. Joy is different. Joy starts on the inside. It doesn't matter what's going on the external. It's all about internal. What am I doing and how am I approaching the situation? Happy is common. Joy, very uncommon. Happy is common because if I've had a bad day, I could come home and turn on Netflix and watch my favorite show and episode and laugh and smile and have a good time for that moment. Happy is when I wake up and I go, man, I don't want to tackle this day, and I go get a pot of coffee and I brew it and I say, you know what? I can tackle this day now because I'm happy. It's common to do that. Happy is down in that whole bag of nacho cheese Doritos just to make you feel good. Eating that dessert. Happy is common because we can go grab onto something and for a moment experience a response to that happiness. But joy is uncommon because joy is that steadiness. Joy is a state of being. It's a choice we make. It's not, it's not reacting to everything else, but it's a steady choice that we make. There was a couple that uh, was flying home, and they were flying home in a very small, like, four-seater Cessna airplane. And if you've never been on a small plane like that, I mean, there's room enough for them and the person that's flying it. That's it. There's a lot of noise, so you normally have to have a headset. That's how you talk to one another. Well, as they're flying, the pilot comes on, and he says, they're getting close to landing, and he says, the most important thing about landing is the attitude of the plane. Well, the husband thought he was going to be clever, and he said on, to his wife on the speaker, he said, I think he meant to say altitude because we're flying. And the pilot said, no, I meant to say attitude. And then he went on to tell them that when you're landing, the nose of the plane and its position, that's the attitude of the plane, is the most important thing. Because if it's not proper, it can go bad real quickly. And then the pilot said something very important. He said, the trick is to get the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. Get the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. If we're going to really walk out a life of joy, if we're going to have this habit of happiness, one of the first things we need to understand is that attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. No matter what the atmospheric conditions are, no matter what the circumstances are going on in our life, are we going to choose to take our attitude, our nose, and direct it so that we don't land in once again for a crash landing in our relationship? We don't come into that communication of conflict and challenge and we land it and we don't care what the attitude is. We just want the plane to blow up because we want people to see the fire. That's it. <laughs> if you're watching online, that was real funny to somebody over there. It was funny, there's a guy named Brooks at our first service. He actually is a pilot, and he flies bigger jets. And he told me something after service that I thought was brilliant. He said, when they're flying those jets, as the pilot, if you're coming in and your attitude is in a negative zone, there's actually a place that if, you're, if your attitude, that nose is in a negative place, there's a pilot that's watching that will radio in and tell you to pull up and do a full circle. In other words, it ain't worth the negative and fall into that. Sometimes we got to pull up because if that pilot lands with that negative nose, the back of the plane will actually scrape the runway. Isn't that like life? Are we willing to pull up out of the situation before we crash? Are we willing to recognize that, you know what, my attitude's going negative, I'm going negative. Woo, let's lift this baby up, do another circle, and take a moment, and maybe we can come back and land that thing. That is a hard thing to do. But when, what I realized over this last year and a half is that with my attitude, 
it's either going to lend itself to push to the positive or it's going to lend itself to push to the negative. I wish there was an in-between. I love the in-between when it comes to my attitude because the in-between makes me feel like I don't need to learn anything. But that's not what it is. In this last year and a half, God has really been putting his thumb, and he has a big thumb, y'all. He's been putting his thumb on my chest, having me really look at my attitude. The thing that I thought were good qualities in him realizing, Michael, you're really erring to the side of being negative. Now, I don't carry my attitude on my sleeve where you might see it, but just because you can't see it doesn't mean that we as people don't have attitude problems we're wrestling with. I think we all do at some level. I remember um, probably might have been a year ago, I was standing at Guest Central during the middle of the week, and I was talking to this guy by the name of Adam Mulcahy, who also is on staff. Adam Mulcahy is one of my favorite people to be around. I enjoy, I love Adam. And Adam actually is in a role on our staff that I was in for over 13 years. It's called facilities. And I love facilities. I love working with my hands. But, you know, I'm the old dog that's been around, that's seen everything, and, or a lot of stuff, not everything, but a lot of stuff. And Adam is this new guy that had only been in that position, overseeing it full-time for maybe, you know, half a year or a year. And we're standing at Guest Central, and Adam begins to tell me, some of the stuff he's going he's gonna to change and work on and do a little differently. Well, remember, I, I was around for a long time, and I saw a lot of stuff. So I obviously know a lot, right? Soon as he's telling me, the first thing that came to my head was, that ain't going to work. Mm. You're about to feel it, son. It ain't going to work. But I at least had enough God speaking to me that I didn't say that out loud. Instead, I decided to ask a bunch of very very sneaky questions to try to get Adam to understand that ain't going to work. So I'm like asking stuff to try to get him to see it's not going to work. And finally, just internally, I really felt like God tell me, Michael, you need to calm down because you're being negative right now. Because there might be something different about Adam that's different than me that Adam can make that work, and I just can't. You see, there was a lot of concrete things, things that being around for a long time I could help Adam with, and Adam and I discuss and talk about those things often, and he comes to me like, hey, man, can you tell me about this? There was a lot of concrete things, but there was a good percentage of what I like to call ethereal things, meaning that it might work. Those are the things you just can't gauge and, and put like a, a, a concrete answer to. It might actually work. And so a little bit later that day, I told Adam, I said, hey, man, I just want to apologize because when you told me that, I automatically went to the negative. I was ready to shut you down and be like, man, don't even go down that road. And I said, so here's what I want you to do. I have a tendency, because I've been around and seen a lot, I have a tendency to poke holes in things and go, that ain't going to work. And that's negative. If I do that, Adam, you have every right, man, to be like, hey, you're old. I need you to slow down. <laughs> I'm young. Give me any advice you can give me but let me step out and fail on my own. I don't need you to protect me like that. And so I had to realize, and I've been realizing, that I have to watch it because with my attitude, I can sometimes go to a negative bend. We're reading this great book as a staff called Crucial Conversations, and I feel like one of the chapters of Crucial Conversations helped me really to understand how do I actually influence my attitude when it comes to things happening in life? Because what tends to happen 
I know for me is something happens, and I, I didn't ask it to happen, but it just happens, and I tend to have a feeling, and then I take action. And it's easy when I just operate like that to say, well, Olin did this to me, and that's why I'm acting that way. It's all Olin's fault. But it's really not. We could say that somebody made us mad or somebody made us whatever, but nobody can make us do anything. So what part do we have to change? Because I can't change what happened because that just that person did it. And I can't really change the way I feel about it and maybe the action I do. So how do I work it out? Well, there's a piece that this book revealed is the space where we can actually work and decide on whether we're going to be negative or positive. That space is called the story that we tell ourselves. Here's how this works. There's something that happens to us or in our world, and we observe it. We see it. We take note of it. And then we don't just go to feeling and acting. We tell ourselves a story. Then we feel and we act off of the story and the narrative that we've told ourselves. Now, here's the hard part because you might be like me, and you're like, I don't do that. There's not a story that I think of. I just feel and I act. That's how quick the story is. The story's so ingrained in us that it's not like sitting down for story time and you go, oh, this happened. It happens so quick. Here's how quick it can happen. Every month, we invite my mother-in-law over uh, and have brunch. And so about two weeks ago, we had finished up eating brunch and we're sitting there. My mother-in-law's talking about the house she rents and how she's been getting packages and mail that don't belong to her. And she said, I got this box of rims, and it don't even belong to me. I got to return it. One of my kids is nearby, and they say, what's a rim? And before I can respond, Jalay responds, and she said, a rim holds the tire. Man, I looked at Jalay, and I said, no, it doesn't. A rim is just that decorative piece on the tire. And her mom's like, yeah, that's all it is, Jalay. And I'm thinking, we got this one. Jalay's wrong, and we're right. Where two or more gathered <laughs> in the name of ignorance. Um, so, Chile goes, no, it's not. The rim holds the tire. You're talking about the hubcap. And this is a funny space to be in because I knew she was right, but I wasn't ready to admit that. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, my first thought is like, man, how did I miss this? I look like an idiot. I mean, stereotypically, I'm a man, and I should know what a rim and a hubcap is. And here, I just, I'm telling my wife she's wrong, and she's not really wrong. And so, again, I had enough God in me to say, hey, you know what? You're right, baby. That's exactly right. Now, let me tell you the story I told myself. Because after that whole scenario was over, I did not know this while it was happening. But I looked back and figured out, how in the world did I miss this? Because I know what a rim and a hubcap is. I know the difference. Here's the story that, I, that unfolded that I told myself. The first thing that happened. When her mom said she got rims, I automatically knew hubcaps. So even though she said the wrong word, I had a picture of hubcaps in my head. So you have to understand, that's my picture. That's the story. That's how I'm responding. So when Jalay said a rim holds a tire, I said, no, it's a hubcap in my head. That's the decorative piece that goes over the rim. But there also was another story that happened. I actually added some words to my wife's response. I know y'all have never done that, but let me share my example so you'll know what not to do in case you have this problem. My wife said, the rim holds the tire. I added three words to her statement, on the car. So what I heard was, 
the rim holds the tire on the car, and I immediately said, nope, that's the lug nuts. You see how easy it is to, to think you're right when you're just bald face wrong? Now, that's rims and hubcaps. Now, think about life when you've been hurt growing up. Think about those stories, those narratives that we are writing on the inside of our heart. And when that, when that gets pricked and you know you're right and that story's been said, how hard is it to not step off of that and change our attitude? We need to have a pilot, God, saying, hey, you're about to land and hit the back of the plane. You need to pull up and drive around again. But we have to take those moments and be willing to sit and assess what is going on and what are the stories that we're telling ourselves that are maybe causing our attitude to be negative and allowing us not to walk in joy. I love this scripture in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, because it reminds us that we have to be willing to sit in this and really survey it. It says, consider it a sheer gift, my friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I love that scripture because it reminds us to sit in it, to let it do its work. This is a hard thing to do, and it's even harder, I believe, in this day and age we live in because so many things come so quickly. We feel like we can change it, we can do it, and we need it fast. But what God is saying, if we're not willing to pick the plane up and circle and begin to look at ourselves and check our attitude and figure out the story that we've written that's caused us to go negative, then we're never going to really be able to walk in that joy that he desires us to walk in in all of our relationships and all of our encounters in life. And here's what can begin to happen. If we're not willing to adjust our attitude despite the circumstances going on, here's what we can fall into, some of the traps. We can get into self-pity. And self-pity is a great train to ride, but it's a lot funner when you can ride it with somebody else. You ever told somebody something and you wanted to get them in on your side of the coin? Like, look at them. How do they get all that? I'm a Christian. They're not. They seem to be blessed. Why ain't I blessed? Why ain't God blessing me like them? And we like to bring people in on that self-pity train. Another thing we can begin to do is we can begin to blame. If if we're not willing to look at our attitude and adjust it, then we're going to blame other people. You see it from the garden. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. It's very easy to blame our spouse or to blame our, our boss or to blame other people around us. I can blame the other person on the roadway for driving, in the, driving slow in the fast lane, but I have to change my attitude. It ain't their fault that my attitude is nasty and that I'm yelling at them inside my car where they can't even hear me anyway. We like to blame people. We also can fall into resentment. And here's the thing about resentment. It doesn't necessarily have to be resentment towards that person that you're mad at. Resentment can happen to your parents, and when you're married, your spouse might not do the same thing they did, but they do something that makes you feel the same way that they did, and you begin to respond to them with a negative attitude. You see, resentment is about the feeling, not about the action that happened way back in the day. The action just made you feel a way, and every time you feel that way, no matter what the action is, it's easy to just go negative. Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the believers in the church, and he says this. He says, therefore, because he's telling them, hey, you're believers, this is for you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. If we just took this scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, and this was the only scripture in the Bible that we spent a lifetime working on, we would have the biggest change in our country, in our world, in our families, in our home, in every relationship, if we just did this. The thing that jumped out to me is clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Do you know I can stand here and see your clothes? You don't have to do anything or to say anything to me. I can see your clothes. That's how. <laughs> Hollis, this is a serious moment, man. I am glad y'all are wearing clothes. But I love, this, I love this picture because in my marriage, my wife should be able to see my gentleness, my kindness, my patience, all those things. As we walk through life at work, people should be able to see. If you're a believer, see. I shouldn't have to tell them. It should be so obvious that we get it. That's that joy. That's that spirit of joy, that habit of happiness that allows us, no matter what's going on, for people to see gentleness, kindness, humility, and patience. And then it says bear with one another. I don't know if you know what that means, but it means folks are going to get on your nerves. People are going to do you dirty and do you wrong. No matter how much or how long, if you've never had it happen, I'm going to prophesy. Somebody's going to bother you. But the scripture says we have to bear with that. What that tells me is that I need some kind of principle or quality in my life that allows me to bear. That's where joy comes in. Because joy allows us to walk in that peace that the scripture talks about. Not just the peace that comes like out of the sky, but a peace that rules and reigns in my heart. That is what happens when we decide to walk in joy. That is what happens when we decide to allow God to, to change our attitude and we sit in these moments. Now, married couples, I'm going to give you a little tip, a very practical thing that will help you. If you want to inject positivity and help change the attitude in your marriage, if you feel like things have been going rough, feel like things have been tough, I'm going to give you a simple thing you can do. Begin to appreciate each other for the mundane things you have to do in life. Thank you for washing the dishes, baby. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for cooking. It's just so great. I had a long day. It was tough. And, man, it's great to sit down and just enjoy this great meal. Hey, thank you for cutting the grass. I appreciate it. Thank you for getting the kids ready for bed. Thank you for reminding the kids to take a shower for the 15th time. I really appreciate that because they ain't taking showers by themselves or on their own. They're taking them by themselves, just not on their own. All those little mundane things, I promise you, if we begin to thank each other, because Jalay and I do this very well, if we begin to thank each other for the mundane things, It'll inject positivity in your relationship so that when that person gets on your nerves, you won't think that they're out to destroy you. You'll remember that, hey, we're in this together, and we're going to get on each other's nerves, and I'm going to have joy, and I'm going to put some positivity and not allow negativity. So our attitude is everything. But also, outside of our attitude, the most foundational thing is to understand that our connection is everything. If we really want to walk in joy, this habit of happiness we have to understand how important our connection is. Jesus is talking to the disciples around him in John 15, and he starts off by giving them this metaphorical picture. He says, hey, guys, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and God is the gardener. 
And when he walks through the garden of life, he's going to look at the branches, and the branches that don't produce any fruit, he's going to cut them off and throw them in the fire. But those branches that are producing fruit, he's going to prune them back and cut them back so they can produce more fruit. And then he makes a powerful statement. He tells them, he says, if you remain in me, then I will remain in you, and you will produce much fruit. Now, understand, this is the context for this verse I'm about to read. Then we get to verse 11 in John 15, and he says, I have told you this, everything about the vine and the remaining in me, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I love that verse because what it tells me is finding the true joy that God intended us to walk in does not happen just on my own. I have to be remaining in him. It says clear as day, I have told you this so that his joy can be in me and then my joy can be made complete. We have to be connected if we want to walk in this habit of happiness and joy. I remember in college, uh, I had a relationship with God. I was around a lot of other people in some ministries that had a relationship with God, therefore calling ourselves Christians. And I remember talking to some of them sometimes, and they would make this statement. I found my spouse when I stopped looking, and I just wanted to punch him in the face. Because <laughs> I thought, look, I get it. We have a relationship with God. But don't make it corny. Like, don't say your little Christy statements, sounding like you're all holy and stuff, than everybody else. And when you stop looking, you found your spouse. Well, eventually when I was in college, uh, I had been dating. Uh, I realized I had been dating a lot leading up to this moment in college. I think it was like my second, second year of college. And I came to this place where I realized, you know what? I need to stop dating because I realize I'm probably looking for something in dating that I need to find in God. And so I just said, God, I'm not going to date. I didn't put a time frame on myself. I'm just going to concentrate. I'm not going to date. I don't care what unfolds. I'm just going to spend some time with you. Well, about two years after doing that, this young, fine, beautiful lady walked onto the campus as a freshman. And she was the sugar to my coffee. Mm. I guess racially that would be reversed, but... I love this lady. I'd spend 40,000 lifetimes with her because she just rocks my world, man. She's wonderful, great. We've had to work at it, but it's great. But it happened to me. I had to eat my words because when I stopped looking, that's when I found her. Now, I still won't say that to people because I still think it's whatever. But there's a principle behind that statement. The principle is this. When we're willing to connect with God first, then the things that he desires for us will begin to unfold. And his desires will become our desires. And so when our desires of our heart, we will call on the things that he desires for us anyway. And those are the things that will come to pass. I knew I wanted to be married one day. I knew it was going to be a part of my life. I definitely desired it. But it wasn't until I was willing to connect that I was able to experience the joy of the best, the best, bar none. Y'all are some great people, but none of y'all 
can be what she is to me. She's the perfect fit for me. And we talk about that and think about that often. I wouldn't have experienced that, I don't believe, if I hadn't had this connection to God in that way. A couple other scriptures I want to share with you that reiterate this importance of being connected to find joy. Psalms 19.8, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Understand what that says. It's his commandments. It's his word. It's his truth. It's his best that he has in mind for us living. That's what brings joy to our heart. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand that feeling of joy does not come just by us walking around wanting it, but it comes from us as we are connecting with him, as we are walking with him. Mary and Joseph in the Bible, they're a married couple. They're the father uh, and the, the uh, mom of Jesus. We don't get to hear a lot about their marriage, like the details of it. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible. That there's a lot of conversations we don't get to see and be a part of. Sometimes I kind of wonder and engage the text and wonder, like, what was going on? Like, did Mary and Joseph fight? Did they get irritated with each other? Uh, you know, like, did they have challenges? I'm sure they did. But we don't get to hear a lot about that. But just imagine if, like, Mary, she's nine months pregnant. They're riding to go find a place for her to have this baby back to, back to Joseph's hometown. Joseph comes up to her after he's looked around and scoured the city. He's like, man, I'm sorry, baby. You're going to have to have this baby in a barn in a manger with some animals. You imagine if Mary's like, what? I rode this donkey for two hours. I'm nine months pregnant. Are you kidding me? Don't you know somebody? Like, isn't this your hometown? Find somebody's house to get in. I know somebody's got to have a basement. Come on, you don't have friends? We can't, you know, nowhere to stay we got to do in this manger. I thought you were supposed to be the spiritual leader, Joseph. You obviously ain't praying to God. God would have gave us somewhere. You know what? I don't even think you care about me. You don't love me, Joseph, enough to find me a place. Can you imagine what would have happened? But that didn't happen. You see, Mary and Joseph had a connection with God. And whatever circumstances happened, they had enough fortitude in their attitude to make sure that they looked at the big picture. Now, some of you might say, well, Michael, <laughs> that's easy for them because they had an angel show up and speak to each of them. And if an angel showed up to me, I would be a better husband or a better wife. If an angel showed up and told me to be a better friend to this person or not to yell at my boss and talk about them behind their back, then I would listen because it's an angel. When I read the Bible, it's rare that they talk about angels showing up. But you know what's not rare? The Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit every day. And Jesus said he had to leave so that someone greater could come, the Holy Spirit. So what's our excuse? If an angel ain't showing up, then my question is, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us on a daily basis? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge our attitude? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to say, hey, you've gotten off the connection. If you'll get back connected, I've got a joy for you. Mary and Joseph, they knew there was something bigger than them. They knew there was something that they needed to stay the course and fight the fight and watch their attitude and connection so that Jesus could be born, the one who could revolutionize and change our lives and give us access to the joy that God has for us. I love what it says in Hebrews when it talks about Jesus. Just before this verse I'm about to read, 
there's an encouragement and a reminder that this race that we're running as believers is one of endurance, that it's not a quick sprint, that that, that word endures in there, that it's going to take some time. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, we do this. We run this race of endurance. We endure by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, and it's telling us what he did in his character that allows us to do this. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. If you will, stand to your feet with me. I love this verse because it said, it doesn't say that Jesus, knowing that he was going to get to the throne, just said, I guess I'll just wait this out because I got a place in heaven beside God. And that's going to be way better. So I'm just going to deal with these people that get on my nerves, that don't even want to follow God. I'm just going to deal with this. Now, he had a moment where he was in a garden, and he was like, man, if there's another way this can go down, God, let's do it. Let me snap my fingers, and a legion of angels just come and handle business. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. Now, remember, his motivation, we just read in that verse. His motivation to make that statement, to stay connected with God and have his best, was the joy that was set before him. Do you know what that joy was? That joy was you. That joy was you, 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 you. That joy was you. It was you, you, it was you. That joy was you, 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 you. You watching, you up there, it was me, it was all of us. That was the joy set before him. He knew that because of the joy that ran his life, that his attitude wouldn't be one of defense against the people who are accusing him, that his attitude would be that of humility because there was a bigger picture. He knew that his connection with God was far greater than any pain that he would have to endure. If you will, close your eyes with me. If you're here today, I just want to invite you into a few things. I first want to invite you into a connection with God through what Jesus did. It's the greatest connection we've learned in the Scripture in the Bible today. It's really the only way we can walk out and live out this joy in our life. It's connected to Him. If you're here today and you've never made that connection, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about a real relationship with God, and you're feeling something right now. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to whatever you're feeling, whatever you feel like God's saying. If you don't have a connection and you want that, I just want you to simply put your hand up, and once you've put it up, you can put it back down. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. That connection with God. If you're watching online, click that little button and just say, I need to get connected with God. Anybody else want to start that relationship with God and just get connected? I see your hand over here. Thank you. All right, now another question. If you've been listening to this message today and you feel like God, the Holy Spirit, were really putting their thumb on you like the thumb was on me with your attitude or any, any ways that you could be more connected with God and give him access. If that's you and in either one of those areas you felt like, man, you know what, God, I hear you and I realize I need to continue to work on this. I just want you to put your hand up right now and then put it back down. I see hands all over, and I'm raising my hand too. It's a constant thing that I need to work on. I'm going to pray. I want you to repeat this prayer loud after me. Say it where you can hear it. And those, even if you didn't raise your hand and you have a relationship with God, say this loud and just say it as an encouragement to those around us. Repeat this. God, I love you. 
And I thank you for loving me first. You sent Jesus to die for me. And he was raised from the dead for me. Because of him, I can have joy. Because of him, I can change my attitude. And because of him, I can be connected to a God that can help me walk through life and work on life so that I can be better and my relationships can be better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Y'all give a hand for people that raise their hand. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.